since I moved to the Middle Tennessee area about eight months ago, almost nine now, I've been able to get down and see my grandfather a little more regularly. And one of the things that I've always been able to count on my granddad to say, whether we're talking on the phone or he's writing a letter or I'm there visiting, is he constantly wants me to remember who you are. He can say that to me every time. And to my granddad and within my family, that means two things. Number one, when granddad says to me, Edwin, remember who you are. He wants me to remember that I am a crozier. In our family, that's supposed to mean something. We want our name to mean something good, just as Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 1 indicates. And because I am supposed to remember that that name is supposed to mean good things when people hear it, that's supposed to affect how I live. Because my name will only mean whatever I live. But more importantly than that, my grandfather wants me to remember that not only am I a crozier, but I am secondly, though I say this second, actually first and foremost, a Christian. And I'm supposed to remember that Christian doesn't just mean that once upon a time I was baptized. Christian is something that is supposed to define my life, define who I am, define how I live day in and day out. Sunday through Saturday, every day, all day long. Interestingly, as you look through the New Testament writers, this is often the approach that they take as they talk to us through their words, as they constantly strive to teach us to remember who we are. For instance, take a look in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. I'd like for us to read a few verses here tonight in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 22, and we're going to read on down through chapter 2 and verse 3. And as we read these verses, what Peter is really saying to those to whom he was writing and to us even today is, remember who you are. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 reads, Since you had an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls off. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you. Chapter 2, verse 1, continue on. Therefore... Putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Peter is saying to us, remember who you are. Because when we remember who we are, that will affect how we live. I want you to notice the three things that Peter wants us to remember about ourselves. First, he wants us to remember that we have been purified through obedience to the truth. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. We know that verse pretty well, don't we? Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
But if you back up several verses and start in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul defines and describes what kind of people we were before becoming the children of God. He said in Romans 3 and verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. Not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a pretty bleak picture. Some of us might be tempted to say, well, I, you know, I wasn't a Christian, and I know I did some things wrong, but really, come on, Paul, I wasn't that bad. But notice what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, Paul says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Here Paul, the man who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew among Hebrews, according to the law, blameless, said, we all did this. If Paul says that about himself, what about us? This was us. We were not better than the rest of the world. We had to be purified. And that is exactly what Peter says we need to remember. We were once wicked, sinful, defiled, dirty. But we were purified. We also need to take note there in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 by what it was that we were purified. He says that since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls. How were we purified? It is not something ethereal or mystical or unknowable. We were purified by obeying the truth. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32? In John chapter 8 and verse 32, Jesus said, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need to remember that our sins and our defilements and our iniquities were washed away because we submitted to Christ's truth. And therefore, we were purified. Peter says, remember that. Remember who you are. The purified through obedience to the truth. But secondly, there in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, not only have we been purified through obedience to the truth, in verse 23 he says, for you have been born again not of the seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. We have been born again. You remember what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3? In John chapter 3, as Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, questioning who He was, 
Jesus cut to the heart of the matter, and in John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus didn't understand, and so Jesus explained to him more fully in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We are the born again. New creatures. I think there's probably two reasons why the Bible talks about us as being born again. Number one, because of talking to the Jews who needed to understand that their first birth into the flesh really didn't matter. They were Jews because they were born into the nation of Israel and circumcised on the eighth day. But Jesus was pointing out to them, that birth does not make you a child of God. It does not make you a part of the kingdom. You've got to be born again, as He says in verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. He said this is a spiritual birth. And we need to be born of water and spirit. But the second reason is because as we pointed out, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Back over in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, you remember what it said in verse 1? You were dead. And so if we're going to have life, it's going to be because we are born again. Brought back to life. A new creation. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He points out that we were given that new life. We were made new creatures. That old life of sin and death is put aside and now we are born again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul, as he described this, said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Peter wants us to remember we are born again. We are new creatures. We're not the same old creatures. We're new. We need to remember what he said though there in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 and 24, by what we were born again. Again, it's not mystical and ethereal and unknowable. It wasn't by some primordial choice of God as He reached out and said, you'll be born again and you won't. That's not it at all. He says you were born again by the imperishable or incorruptible Word of God. That connects us back to the truth about which we spoke just moments ago. In John chapter 17 and verse 17, as Jesus prayed on that night in which He was betrayed, He said to the Father, praying for the disciples, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. We are sanctified or made holy or made new creatures, born again by the Word of God, which is truth. makes me think of what Paul said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul said, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. By obeying the truth, by obeying the Word of Christ, we were purified and we were born again. And Peter reminds us, remember who you are. You're new creatures. You're born again. You're not those same old creatures you were before. You're something else. 
The third thing that Peter desires us to remember is found in the last verse of our reading in chapter 2 and verse 3. As he concludes this short section saying, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. We need to remember that we have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Your translation may say tasted the grace of the Lord. We need to keep in mind that while we're purified and born again because we submitted to the truth, we heard it and we listened and we believed and we obeyed, we need to keep in mind that our sins have separated us from our God. As Isaiah 59 and verse 2 said, our sins have separated us from our God. Our iniquities have caused His face to be hidden from us. And no amount of obedience, no amount of good works, no amount of anything we do could overcome that gap that was formed there by our sins. But God overcame that gap through His grace and His kindness. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. There is a separation between us and God. But Jesus died so that we might be brought to the Father. So that the gap might be overcome. We need to remember that we are tasters of the grace and kindness of our Lord. Peter says to us, remember who you are. You are the purified, the born again, the tasters of God's grace and kindness. And when we remember who we are, Peter says that will affect how we live in three ways. First of all, we'll love one another. Interestingly there, look in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. He points out that we have been purified in obedience to the truth for a purpose. If you have the King James Version, it makes it a little more clear as it says, unto something. You're purified unto a certain thing. But I'm actually surprised. The first time I read this, I expected it to conclude in a different way. I expected it to say, since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for or unto a sincere love of God. That's what we would think right off the bat, right? That's what it's all about, about us loving God. And no doubt we are supposed to love God. We can find that in all kinds of Bible passages. But what shocked me and what amazes me is that Peter points out that we were purified for the purpose of loving one another. And Peter's point is, when you remember who you are, you'll love each other. When we remember that we're the purified, the born again, the tasters of God's grace, then we'll realize how much we ought to love each other. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, 35? John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the distinguishing mark. This is what sets us apart from the rest of the world that we love. And not only do we love God, but we love each other. And people are supposed to be able to see that. And when we remember how unworthy we have been of God's love, and yet He loved us anyway, then we'll be able to look at each other 
with the eyes of love, recognizing we're all in the same boat and we all need each other. And we all need to help one another grow. But I want you to notice three things about this love. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, Peter begins by pointing out that this love is to be sincere. Some translations say unfeigned. It's not to be faked. It's not to be held in hypocrisy, saying one thing but doing another. John said in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Our love must be sincere, not faked. It must be in deed and in truth. In other words, you notice this, when we love one another, we're not just going to say, I love you. We're going to be doing things for one another and with one another. Helping one another grow. Holding one another accountable to the Word of God. He said, sincere love. Secondly, I want you to notice that he says that this love is supposed to come from the heart. From a pure heart. Some translations say a clean heart. Some of the early manuscripts had It's not just something on the outside. It's something that comes from the inside, properly motivated. Are you aware that some people can do things that look a great deal like love, but be improperly motivated? For instance, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, of course, we know that as the chapter on love, but you'll notice in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, If I give all my possessions to the poor. Now, doesn't that just sound like love? I am giving all that I have away to other people who are in need. He said, or if I deliver my body to be burned. Now here, of course, he's talking about sacrificing our lives for Christ, going to the stake and being burned for Him. He said, I can give all my possessions to the poor. I can deliver my body to be burned. But if I don't have love. Now that's amazing. It would seem to me if somebody gave all their possessions away or they delivered their body to the stake, that they must have loved God. But here it says that some folks do some things that look like love, but it's not properly motivated from the heart. Who knows why these folks gave everything to the poor? Who knows why they went to the stake to be burned? But he says that it's possible they didn't have love, even though they did those things. You see, we need to recognize, as 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 says, our love is supposed to come from the heart. From a pure heart. Purely motivated. We've been purified. And so our love ought to be pure and from the heart. And thirdly, he says that it ought to be fervent love. When we do something with fervor, we do it intently and intensely. It is not something that will happen accidentally. It it is only something that will happen purposefully. When we purpose in our hearts to love one another with fervor. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, go back over there, verse 4 as it defines and describes this love. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Brethren, that stuff isn't going to happen accidentally. It's only going to happen when we purpose to live in these ways. And when we are intent and intense about it, loving fervently from a pure heart with sincerity. Paul said, Peter says, when you remember who you are, you'll love one another. But secondly, 
When we remember who we are, we'll put aside wicked works. If you flip back over to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He's saying when you remember that you're new creatures, that you've been born again, that you're not what you used to be, we'll put aside all those wicked things that we had done in the past and we'll do the new works. You remember what Galatians 2 and verse 20 says as Paul described his new life in Christ? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. See, Paul says, I put that old man to death. I'm a new creature. Jesus is living through me. When you look at my life, you see God and His will and His Word. Not my will and my actions. Look over to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, Paul talked about this new man. Putting off the old man, putting on the new man. Beginning in verse 17 of Ephesians 4, Paul said, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him just as truth is in Jesus, that, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And he goes on to describe this new man. And we could read on through the rest of chapter 4 and on through chapter 5, and we'll find out about this new man as Paul points out that this new man speaks differently. He loves differently. He responds to emotions differently. He works differently. Everything is different. He is a new man, and the old things have been cast aside. And when we remember who we are, we'll be different than we used to be. Peter's point is, if you went under the water and came up and you're just the same old person that you've ever been before, you're not remembering who you are. As First Peter said, chapter 1 and verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Don't be conformed to those former lusts. Don't go back to do things the way you did before you became a Christian. You're new. You're born again. Put those old things away. Peter wants us to remember who we are so that we'll love one another and put aside wicked works and so that we'll grow. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Think about this. We were purified from our sins. How? Because we obeyed the truth, which is the Word of Christ. We were born again, made new creatures, brought back to life from the death of our transgression and sin. How? We obeyed the Word, which is imperishable and incorruptible. It stands to reason then, if we remember that, 
that we will desire and continue in and long for the Word of Christ. Why? Because we're not satisfied just being little babies. But we want to grow up in Christ. We want to be useful to Him. Strong in His kingdom. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Beginning at verse 14, as Paul told Timothy, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God's Word. It's profitable for us. It'll teach us. It'll reprove us. It'll correct us. And it'll train us in what is right. And in the end, as it accomplishes those things, it will make us perfect and complete in Christ. As we grow up into maturity, becoming conformed to the image of Christ. And you remember what it said in 1 Timothy 2.21? If anyone cleanses himself from these things, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master prepared for every good work. When we have become prepared for every good work by the Word of God, we have become useful to the Master. Wouldn't you like to hear that? Wouldn't you like God to say about you, you were useful to me? We need to be useful. But it will only happen when we desire the milk of the Word and grow by it and grow to the solid food and grow by that as well. We've got to turn to the Word of God. Growth is what God has expected from us. The balance that we need to follow between understanding the grace of Christ and understanding our need for obedience is that we're supposed to grow. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. Peter said in Second Peter 1 and verse 5, Now for this very reason also, Applying all diligence in your faith to supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. You see that, Peter? Here also, remember who you are. Don't forget your purification. Therefore, brethren, verse 10, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. In what way, Peter? By growing by getting into the Word and becoming something more than we've been. That's what God has asked from us. That's when we receive His grace. Not when we're perfect, but when we're better than we were yesterday. Peter says, remember who you are. Remember that you are the purified through obedience to the truth. Remember that you are the born again by the Word of God. Remember that you are the tasters of God's grace and kindness. 
And when you remember that, that'll affect how you live. It'll cause you to love one another. It'll cause you to put aside the wicked works that you used to follow in before you became a Christian. And it'll cause you to grow in the Word of Christ. Tomorrow is when you need to remember this. On the job, remember who you are. At school, remember who you are. At home, Peter says, remember who you are.